0: The Lord be with you and also with you. Amen. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. To the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility of Christ, here in this sacred space, in this holy hour, where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country. We gather to worship Almighty God. We welcome our gathered congregation at 735 Commonwealth Avenue and our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and our worldwide Internet listenership at WBUR.org. We invite your written or emailed responses, your material and prayerful support, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us on Sunday morning. Today we gather to announce the gospel at the intersection of the street marked material grace. You have what you can give away. You only truly possess what you have the freedom and power to offer another. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice to be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of evil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God, forever and ever. Amen. As we are seated in this moment, we invite you to a time of contrition and compunction, lament and regret as we confess our sin together. Let us pray. Good news, grace, gospel, God's love. In the poet's verse, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: Friends. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, Will be caught up in the clouds together and with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words The Word of the Lord.
2: Please join me in verses from Psalm 78 with the antiphon. People to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my, open my mouth in a, a parable, I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We, we will, will not hide them from their children. We will tell to them in creation the, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his, and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise up and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. as you are able for the Gloria Patri, the reading of the Gospel, and the hymn.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you, do not, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
0: those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but children of the heavenly King will speak our joys abroad. This autumn, we have traced the etched good news in Paul's loveliest letter, that to the Philippians, where it is announced and acclaimed, your true identity, your commonwealth is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And we have done so, what a privilege to interpret this loveliest of letters, along the loveliest avenue in the United States of America, Commonwealth Avenue, Boston, Massachusetts. Paul in prison and Hamilton at Arlington do agree on the central goodness of a material grace. Now you remember Paul's concluding chapter, the fourth and the 15th verse, wherein he thanks those who have sent him a gift from Philippi his prison cell. I thank you for remembering me in my trouble he writes. And then he remembers it's a thanksgiving reverie a memory in the heart of a great and gracious gift. I remember that no other church in the beginning of the gospel but you shared in partnership with me in the giving and in the receiving. You have what you give away You only truly possess what you have the freedom and power to give to someone else. Stroll for a moment this afternoon on the Commonwealth Mall. We may begin at Arlington Street, and there, who greets you? Alexander Hamilton, are you surprised? There he is, this enterprising author of a sort of material grace. There's discussion today, if I hear correctly, about cabinet posts, secretaries of state, and of defense, and of treasury. Well, Alexander Hamilton was our first secretary of the treasury, born in the West Indies, educated in New Jersey, graduated from King's College, that's Columbia, fought with distinction in the revolution, 1776 and 1777, nearby this Patch of land which we inhabit today, became the secretary later to George Washington. In New England, we absorb this history, don't we, as we grow up in our infancy, and there he was, looking at you as you stroll along Commonwealth Avenue. Once the country had been freed and established, he, to set the country on the right course as the secretary of the treasury, began to develop the credit worthiness of the country. Isn't it amazing how contemporary history can be? And he did so by paying at full face value all the debt and indebtedness of the country, national and statewide. His was a voice committed to a strong central government. And over the next few years, until he was felled in his duel with Aaron Burr in 1804, he argued with Jefferson. He, Hamilton, favored a national mint, a national bank, and a strong national government which now thanks to his influence is represented in the Constitution that governs the land we happily inhabit. Christianity affirms an incarnate faith, a faith that walks the street you live on, a faith that strolls along the street you inhabit, a material grace that when it emerges and shrouds all of life in goodness and in love. Philippians is a thank you note. Now, that may surprise you because when you think of Philippians, you think of its majestic poetry. You think of the triumphant trumpet voluntary at the beginning of the fourth chapter, rejoice in the Lord always. You think of Paul's self-disclosure that everything in his life before Christ he calls, what was it? rubbish scubalon. You think of that selection of all that is good to which we are to give ear and eye whatsoever is true and pure and lovely and worthy of praise and of good report and excellent. Think on those things, but in point of fact, Philippians also has a very practical, pragmatic job to do. It is a bread and butter note. Paul in prison Has received a gift. And so at the hand of Epaphroditus he receives what is sent and he returns a courtesy note thanking. Thank you, he says. Thank you for the gift that brightens the days in my dark and dank prison cell. There's something so, so luminous and numinous about a gift properly given A few weeks ago, we stopped to see our son and daughter-in-law who have moved into a new apartment in a nearby city. It's a nice upper-level brownstone flat. We were wise enough to arrive after they had moved the furniture up three flights. And as we sat, enjoying the urban environment and the charming city and the potential for young life together, Our son said, you know, for all of the things I will remember from this day, I most will cherish this. Our friends came and helped and stayed and lifted. What a gift. A gift of material grace brings a new hue to time and space. Did you hear the way Paul Carefully paces through this strange verse. The beginning hardly bears the weight of the original in this current translation. It means something like, Thank you for your strenuous investment in our time of peril. He continues with this pregnant oddity, the beginning of the gospel. And then he uses that instrument he most needs at those high. High points in all his writing, particularly in Philippians. The partnership, yes, you've heard that now, the koinonia, he brings that favorite eight iron out of the bag just when he needs it. The partnership of the gospel, the giving and receiving, the overspending, he calls it in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, of the gospel. Here he is tracing the delicate experience of a great gift, not only correctly, but rightly given. Oh, as an interpreter of the New Testament, I have a vested interest, as you do, in seeing things theological and spiritual and sublime embedded in the quotidian, daily, utmost. So the teachings uh, and parables of Jesus, we know came out of the life of the early church. The point of our parable today, as Edmund Stimely so well put it a generation ago, is it's a long wait. Be prepared. The early church, in its congregational need, developed the occasional literature that is our collection of epistles, including Thessalonians and Philippians, city by city. The later and larger theological essays of John and Paul developed out of the conflict between Christian Judaism and Jewish Christianity over many decades and the later pseudonymous literature, First and 2 Peter and so on, came up out of the daily need of the churches in questions of authority and pastoral care and service and mission and, yes, issues of material grace. Paul knows all about them. Paul, though it's not mentioned in Philippians, which is one reason we think it's the latest of Paul's letters, Paul and the others, most of them, is seeking to develop a collection for the Jerusalem church, and he has many things to say, including that those who labor in the midst of the congregation deserve to be supported. That's a particular favorite of all ministers, all priests, and all clergy, who recite at morning and evening and in the shower. But Paul himself did not take such support. He worked as a tent maker, as you know, as a craftsman not to overburden his fledgling churches. He knew the power of a material grace. You know his most potent teaching about giving is found in 2 Corinthians 8. There we hear, leave the composition aside for a moment and just... Remember in reverie the choice phrases, a wealth of liberty. God loves a cheerful giver. One who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Let each do what he decides in his or her own mind, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. Your, equality, your your abundance is meant to provide equality to all so that, here is the theme sentence, those who have much might not have too much and those who have little might not have too little. Faithful women and men, you know that the threshold, the liminal crossing of faith is found in personal, individual decisions, perhaps one made on your part today, to live in a certain habit. You know that means to lead a Christian life is to worship in public Sunday by Sunday and to pray in private through the week. Use of time is crucial. You know that to lead a Christian life means to be faithful to keep fidelity in those partnerships, covenants, and marriages, and friendships that are at the heart of real life. We might say, in singleness, integrity, and in partnership, fidelity. But you also know that the beginning of faith, this is the front porch entering the front door, starts with a disciplined generosity. The taking of, say, 10% of what you have earned, and the sharing of that amount weekly or monthly or annually with those in need. We have among us those who are in or heading into the ministry, and I announce this as a, a word of encouragement and hope and promise. Some of your greatest happiness will come where you least expect it, working toward meeting the needs of congregations and communities. The two... Largest capital campaigns on which we've worked came at ill times. Timing is crucial, but I've never been very good at it. One started in October of 1987, a very dark month. But it progressed and succeeded, though it took longer. The other, continuing the bumbling timing, started in October of 2002. And it, too, proceeded, though more slowly, My friend Mike McKee, whom you met this summer from Texas, said in 2002, Bob, let me tell you, you're going to enjoy it, take the time to savor it. And I thought, you must be joking, but he was so right. To see the unexpected generosity of a $5 gift per week multiplied by five years, of an unexpected six-figure gift, of a family with a 15-year-old daughter She reading her Harry Potter novel and they deciding what they were to give. Come all the king's horses and all the king's men. No book or sermon about stewardship was ever going to be as good as what she overheard in her parents' kitchen. There is a joy out there. I say this as a word of encouragement and hope and promise to those women and men who are bearing responsibility for the upbuilding of institutions. Colleges, universities, hospitals, churches, others. It will come. There is a material grace waiting to meet you. And when it comes, take the time (laughs) to savor it. Some years ago, we officiated at a wedding in the autumn. We have now in the churches as many autumn weddings as summer weddings. It was a beautiful day like today. The sun did stream through the stained glass window. The organist played a little extemporized version of one of the old hymns. The vows were given and received, and then the service was over, and a woman who was a visitor and guest came forward, and we talked. She, I discovered, had grown up in the North Country. If you want to know where we came from, see the film Frozen River. See it anyway. It's wonderful. She said, I grew up in a single parent home in Alexandria Bay and so I said it was late in the afternoon a little small talk did you ever know the Reverend Harold Pennock? at which point her face grew red and her eyes filled and her chin went down and she started to sob and I thought isn't this the ministry you say something offhandedly and it causes tears you enter a room and everyone feels uncomfortable and I said I'm sorry we can pause right there she said no you don't understand I know that church. I grew up in that little Alexandria Bay church. And when I went off to college, though my dream was to be a musician, there was no money for voice lessons. And then mid-semester along came a check from that church, and it came every semester until I graduated, and it gave me my voice. It wasn't just the money, though I needed it very much. It was the fact that somebody remembered me, knew my name, took the time, and sent a check. I learned only many years later that it was the Reverend Harold Pennock who had given that offering month by month. What are you doing now, I asked. She said, well, music is my life. I'm a full-time director of music in a church in a city nearby. There is an experience of love divine in the eruption of material grace, in the giving, as Paul writes, the giving and receiving, the partnership of the gospel. It's radiant. It's radiant. We see its radiance right here. We see its radiance this very week. We visited a hospital this week in which a newborn child arrived, and there the plaque on the hospital read, Built and Endowed, by the people of and then named the town. And I thought, I wish when we had built, we had endowed. We built so many schools and colleges and universities and seminaries, but we left the endowment to another generation. That's yours. I see a radiance when that endowment comes. When I think of the young people who are raising that child and others, and doing so with the hope of endowing a future. Now it's coming. You see it, you read it. There's a turn here in our culture, in Christ. A desire to endow the future. To endow it with clean air and pure water. To endow it with stable justice. To endow it with colorblind equality. To endow it with virtue that has place neither for selfishness nor for sloth to endow it with the wisdom of an Abraham Lincoln in whose lap we all would like to sit this week, to endow it especially with faith, a material grace, a confidence that that there is a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe. I see the radiance of this material grace right here at Marsh Chapel, Those listening from afar might remember that we have a materially gracious monument to Martin Luther King in front of our chapel on Commonwealth Avenue. Wednesday, we went out front to see that a bouquet of flowers had appeared simply laid in front of the monument, and a few more Thursday, and a few more Friday, and this singular note. To Martin Luther King, thank you. We close with one of King's prayers, actually, in the oral tradition. He received it from a slave preacher. It was remembered in a writer this week, so this is Hill quoting a writer, quoting King, quoting a slave preacher who said, Lord, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But Lord, thank God, we ain't what we was.
4: as we are called to prayer in the singing of lead me lord we are invited to pray in those ways in which we are most moved to support the prayers this morning please come to the altar rail to stand or to kneel stand or kneel in your place raise your hands pray in your first language however you are so moved to pray this day who are one you who are three one god in perfect community we who are your community in this place and time give you thanks for this time with you and with one another in which we lift up the depths of our hearts together so we pray as i set the intention i will end with in your mercy and grace Please respond. Hear our prayer. For all who confess your name, for our unity in your truth, for our life together in your love, for our revelation of your glory in the world, in your mercy and grace, hear our prayer for the ways of justice and peace for the people of this land and all the nations, for our honoring of one another, for our service to the common good. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer. For our reverence for the earth as your own creation, for our right use of its resources in service to others and to your honor and glory. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer. For all whose lives are linked with ours, for our service to Christ in them, for our love to one another as Christ loves us. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer for the comfort and healing of all those who suffer in body, mind, spirit, for courage and hope in trouble, for the joy of your salvation. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer. For all who have died, for the fulfillment of your will for them, for our sharing with all your saints in your eternal realm. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer. For the joys and celebrations of this life, for our power in giving, for our confidence in your peace, for our rest in your hope. In your mercy and grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray, your will be done. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let us all say, Amen. And now, beloved, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
3: Peace of the Lord be always with you. We would welcome you here this morning, and we would also extend a special welcome this morning to Associate Provost and Professor of Music Victor Coelho, our Theorbist this morning, accompanying the choir for the two Scarlatti pieces. We would invite you to help us get to know you better by filling out the Ritual of Friendship, otherwise known as the Red Book at the end of your pew. We would like to get to know you and be in touch with you throughout the week. We would note for those of you who um, do find yourselves in a place of grace at this point in the economic year that there is an opportunity for online giving now on the Marsh Chapel website. Click the link marked Stewardship. This Wednesday at 7 p.m. here in Marsh Chapel, Brother John of the community of Teze in France will be joining us for a special time of worship. We hope you can join us then. We would remind you that on Sunday, November 23rd, the Marsh Chapel Choir will be offering the second in the Bach Cantata series, and we hope to see you here then. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. have comes from you. We offer these gifts and thanks. We offer these gifts that they may be used in your service. Amen.
0: The sun shall warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. Amen.